So we're in Revelation chapter 13. Last week we studied Revelation 12, and that introduced us to the dragon, which we know is Satan. He's identified later on in the chapter that he is. And Revelation 13 is how he will set up a false trinity. He'll set him up as him as the head, and he'll deceive the world um, with a world government and then his false prophet and things. So we're going to get into a little bit of that today. But we look at Matthew chapter 24, 24, and it says, For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and f- perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. If possible, even God's chosen ones. So we need to be on our toes. We need to be standing alert. We need to be students of God's word and uh, diligent in that study, right? So where are we going today? God's true desire is that we worship him. That is why we are created, okay? And I've never looked at worship like that, t- ex- like this, from this passage before, but it's something that Baruch really hit hard on and was something that I was like, wow, this is something that's really neat to see. So what is a good definition of worship is we honor God in how we live. The people will know that we're Christians by our love. So when we display God's love, that is worshiping God. When our lifestyle reflects God, Jesus, that displays worship to him as well. And so we're going to start in verse 17 of chapter 12 of Revelation, and then we're going to go read through 13.5. So we're going to just back up into it like one verse or so. I also noticed this week, if you have the NLT, you have verse 18. And if you have pretty much any other translation, you don't have verse 18. So I was like, wow. Um, So I looked at that, and 18 kind of gives it some context. It says that uh, Satan rises up, and he stands with one foot on the shore and one foot in the sea kind of thing. Now, it does not say that in... It mentions it a little bit in NIV. It's kind of in verse 1, but it does not really say it in the King James, so I just kind of axed it. I think it's to understand that's what he's doing, but it's not in the scripture that I could find in the original script, so I pulled it out, okay? So we're going to read 17 and then start in verse 1. It says, The dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children, all who keep... God's commands and maintain their testimony for Jesus. Verse 1. Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, and it had seven heads and ten horns with ten crowns on its horns, and written on each head were names that blaspheme God. This beast looked like a leopard, but had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they also worshiped the beast. Who is great as the beast, they exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? I guess they forgot the last three and a half years, and they were quick to find somebody to save them from all the hardships that the Lord has put them through to get them to turn 
to him. And when they find a quick solution, they jump on it quick. So one of the things that's really important for us as believers is to know the big picture. To know the big picture. And I think it really is for anybody in any walk of their faith, even if they haven't discovered who Jesus is yet, we need to know the big picture. The Bible says that Jesus is going to win. Jesus is going to right all wrongs. He is going to bring righteousness to the unrighteousness, and he is going to make all things new. That is something that's important to do. So if you look at 17 of chapter 12 of Revelation, the, the dragon made war with the rest of, of her children. And I really think this is talking about the Gentile church. Her children, who are we talking about? We're talking about the woman. This is talking about Israel. And we are children of Israel. If you look at Romans chapter 9, it talks about that, that we're um, adopted, in a sense, uh, children of Abraham. If you look at Ephesians uh, 1.5, it says, God decided in advance to adopt us in his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Jesus wanted to die on the cross for us. How much so? It gave him great pleasure. We look at Jesus in the last days, and he says, Lord, if there's any other way, let's do it that way. So his human nature is there, but his godly nature wins out. And he does it with great pleasure because he has victory over death. Praise God for that. Chapter 13 shows us the beginning of the process of what was mentioned in chapter 12 of Revelation. 13 also shows us an overview of the last days. Again, we see uh, a panning out of what's going to happen in these three and a half years that we have. And he will get even more specific later on in chapter 17. There's quite a few references that we see that are similar in 12 and in 17 that are written out in 13. Okay. So we first start off and we see the, the beast standing on the seashore. And what do we know of the sea? If you look at the sea, if you go to the ocean, if you go to the Gulf of Mexico or if you go to the Pacific Ocean, what does the sea look like? It sparkles. It's fast. It's constantly moving. The sea is always moving. And if a storm comes up, it moves a lot, right? So there's chaos. There's always this. The sea can be a reference to God's uh, Gentiles. It can be a reference to that. But a lot of, in this particular instance, it is chaos. There's things that are going on there that are shaken up. Instability. Wars. Rumors of wars. We saw something similar to this in 12, and we will see it again in 17 when we study it later on this year. Also mentioned are the seven heads, the ten horns, and the seven crowns, but this time he gets a little bit more detailed, and he says there's blasphemies written on them. We have the seven heads, and we know these to be the seven empires. How do we know this? You say that, you sound so confident in that, Pastor House. How do we know this? Well, we read Daniel, and we can see how he's 
laid out the tears of the statue dream that he had with Nebuchadnezzar. And we see these empires of Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Babylon, Medes and Persians, Greece, the Romans, and a unique empire that is laid out as pretty evil. And then eventually we'll see an eighth one that will rise out of the seventh one, uh, which will be straight up satanic because it'll be based on Satan, right? So the last of these seven empires will be the worst. We have the ten kings, and again, we'll see this in Revelation 17. We'll talk about that a little bit more then. And this final empire will take power, and it will rule in a blasphemous way. Because Satan knows God's ways, doesn't he? Satan knows the Bible. You can see evidence of that in Matthew when Jesus is out on in the desert. And Satan doesn't come to him the first day. He doesn't come to him on day 20. He comes to him on day 39 and a half. When Jesus is tired, he's hungry, he's worn out, and his character is going to be able to be pushed the most. And what do we have? We have God showing up in a mighty way through his scriptures. But what does Satan do? He quotes scripture to Jesus first. And God rebukes him, Jesus rebukes him with scripture. So it's important to know scripture in its context. Right? We talked about that a little bit last week with in Genesis chapter 3 in the fall. We had... Satan, or the deceiver, the devil, he questioned Eve, not Adam. Adam may have distorted the definition that we're not supposed to touch the fruit or eat of the fruit. And that's not what God said, right? He said, just don't eat the fruit. So when she touches it, now she's like, well, nothing happened. And so she eats. That's kind of strange, isn't it? So Satan, he uses... um, the deception that, that's been brought in either by Adam or Eve in that definition, and then he compounds the truth on top of that. And by the time you walk out of that situation, he's probably about 90, 95% true speaking, and he just deceives just a little bit to get them off the mark. And so that is what we need to remember. When we're following God's compass across the great... United States, what if you're off just a half a degree when you start from New York and you're going to L.A.? You're just, your compass is off just a half a degree. Are you going to make it to L.A.? Yeah, you're going to end up in Tijuana, right? Or you're going to end up clear up in um, Oregon, right? You're not going to make it. it. That's how far. We're talking hundreds of miles if you're talking by just a half a degree. You have to be precise in these things. And so it is important for us to remember to review these things too, right? So Gate, Gaten, oh boy, Satan knows God's ways, but he wants to throw them out. He wants to distort them. He wants to be opposite of these. And if you've ever listened to Love, Sex, and Relationships by Chip Ingram, he does a really good job of showing how Satan takes God's relationship uses the same 
model, but flips it upside down. And what do we see in a model for today in relationships? We see, well, we meet a, we meet a guy or girl. Um, we we kind of keep it secret from all our friends until we're ready. Then we introduce them to our friends. Then we introduce them to our close friends. Then we introduce them to our family. And then we, we get down to the, it and we're thinking about doing life together. We're like, oh yeah, well maybe we should put God in this. Right? And so we go to church and we're getting married in a church. Why are you getting married in a church? I don't really know. I just, my parents wanted me to. It seems I grew up that way. That's what we're supposed to do. Well, why? Why? God desires to have a relationship with us first, right? So he puts himself on top. And if we're going to give our first fruits and our offering, shouldn't we do that as well in our relationships too? And shouldn't we come in and have God be honoring in our own relationship first with him? And then we find somebody that inspires us to grow closer to God. And so they're, they're bringing me closer to God as I grow closer to them. Well, let's see what my folks say about that. Now I'm going to show them to my close friends. And now that I'm going to show them to the world on my wedding day. This is the person I've declared. Can you see how that works? It's kind of like baptism. When you accept Jesus into your heart, that's justification, right? Accept Jesus into your heart, that's justification. And then you want to declare to the world that you love Jesus and you want to put him first, that's baptism, okay? That's the process of starting sanctification, that I'm going to walk in holiness with the Lord. That's why you get baptized, right? So as in marriage as well, so you start your relationship with God and you, and then the person comes in to make it a triune relationship, right? And then you want to declare to the world that we are both going to follow the Lord. That is marriage. Whoa. I just kind of discovered that right now. Woo. So don't let the world distort things. The, the world is distorted marriage so bad. And that's, that's, that's wrong. So continuing on in verse 2, we see the beast. Daniel speaks of these, these descriptors of the beast in the opposite order. So he's looking at the future. It's a timeline thing in a sense. He's looking at it as the lion, the bear, the leopard, and then the dragon. Okay, John is looking back at the past, and he sees the leopard, bear, lion, and dragon. Okay, the dragon is in both, and the both end because the dragon gives them the power, right? But if you look at those three, and you're like, well, what are those things? They are they're empires. Okay, they are um, the Greeks, the Medes and Persians, and uh, Babylonians. I think. I, I, I didn't look at it close enough, but it's, it's written out in uh, Daniel chapter 7, and it tells you which ones they are. I just can't remember which one they are right now. So this last empire, as it rises up, the seventh one, it's going to be all-inclusive, and it's going to be, say, hey, all religions come to the same place. Come to me, you're, 
everybody's going to get to heaven. If you believe what you believe and I believe what I believe, we're all going to get to heaven. Come, and that's going to be the foundation for the last empire. And it's going to quickly turn to the eighth empire, and that's going to be saying, oh, well, I said that, but really I mean only worship me. And he's going to give some pretty false um, deceptions on that as well. So we'll have a lot of false miracles. We'll have a false resurrection. And we see this in this passage with a wound, with a mortal blow that is healed. That is a hint at what's going to come, that this, this Antichrist is going to look like he got wiped out and then he's going to come back and he'll be fine and everybody's going to say wow this has to be the messiah because he defeated death just like god said he was going to but who do we already know has defeated death jesus christ has right so we don't need to find somebody else we don't need to find something new a new teaching we don't need to find something that 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 tickles our our Revelation funny bone that says, ooh, that's end times, that's something new I haven't heard yet. We need to study the scriptures. And yes, it's good to get different perspectives on those things, but it's also remember that it better line up with what we have here in the scriptures or else it's not going to go. And what's the best commentary on the New Testament? The Old Testament is. And what's the best commentary on the Old Testament? The New Testament. It's funny how that works right? Uh, but use scripture first. Does it line up with other scripture? And then you can look at some of the culture. You can look at some of the things, and then you can look at other things, and then make sure that there's other people that agree with what they said, because that can be dangerous, because it, remember the verse in Matthew 24, 24, it says, they will even try to deceive even the elect if that is possible. What's he mean by that? He means that if you really are God's children, you can't be deceived. But there's a lot of people that really look like um, God's children, and they're going to turn away from God. Okay? And they're going to worship the beast. So who is the beast? Well, I think when we look at this, we see a spiritual war that is going on. We need to know God's word to do the battle with this. We need to know how it all ends. Satan for sure knows. He knows he's lost. When Jesus rose from the grave, he knew right then that he had lost. And we need to know. It is important to read the end of the end of the scriptures, right? We've gotten halfway through the book of John studying it. We've gotten halfway through the book of Revelation. We're going to go back and read and study the rest of John, and then we're going to come back and finish off Revelation because we've got to see what happened at the, the first coming to understand the second coming better. So who is the beast? Well, it's going to be the head of Satan. Most likely it's going to be some kind of form of government and things or one of these empires, right? Or the Antichrist, or pretty much all three. <laughs> Yay! Oh boy. Doesn't look good for the home team. But if you look at these things, and if Satan knows Scripture, 
Satan knows that he's cursed by the woman's son. He knows that Jesus Christ is the woman's son. It begs the question then, if Satan knew that Christ was dying on the cross, would destroy him, why did he go through with it? Why would he give in to that temptation? Why would he go after this? And I thought this was interesting. This is something I learned from Baruch uh, Corman. It says, because Satan loves suffering. Satan loves suffering. He loves it so much that he couldn't resist. He gave in to the temptation, and he couldn't resist to make Christ go through all that suffering. And he said in the back of his mind, perhaps, just perhaps, maybe, I could win out of this. So there's a temptation of winning as well and defeating Christ, which we know he didn't. And he figured, well, it worked on the first Adam. I can deceive the second Adam, right? Satan, he is deceived by his own lust for suffering. He sees the suffering. He wants to see more suffering. And he works through suffering. And he accomplishes much through suffering. Right? So why do bad things happen to good people? Because Satan enjoys suffering, doesn't he? He enjoys to watch good people suffering. And how do we explain suffering? Because there's evil in the world. There's sin in the world. And when sin was given a foothold into the world, we can count on there being suffering, which is unfortunate. So why do bad things happen to good people, it's because of sin and death and suffering that Satan enjoys to see. And can we always explain why that happened? No, we can't always explain it. But we as believers can believe God's word. We can believe the promises he's given us. And he says, all things will work out for the good of those who love him. Because God will make something good out of that suffering, won't he? Whether it's your testimony to others, whether it's uh, something rising up out of the ashes, kind of like a phoenix. So we have a similar problem to Satan. Satan gave into his lust for something. So do we. We will give in due to our lust for pleasure or comfort especially in these last days just like this. And many times we turn back on, turn our backs on God for just a moment of pleasure. It won't, it won't matter that much. In the grand scheme of things, it's not going to matter that much. Oh, yes, it does. It matters. Right? So we have, maybe it's for a month or more of comfort, we compromise. And I'm thinking like if, if we're in a war or something like that, and we see it, we need, we could get a month more of peace out of the situation if we gave in to their demands. You see this when World War II started. Um, Germany started to invade a country, and they're like, oh, you don't do that. Don't you do that. If you do that again, oh, you're going to get it. 
you are going to get it. And so they do it again. Oh, oh, don't you? <laughs> do we do that with our kids? I counted to three. I counted to three. You know what that means? Yeah, you're going to have to get at least a six or count to three at least two more times. Right? God doesn't do that. God gives you that third chance. It is it's a done deal. That's why, why I think I got this one from Dave, actually. Um, Pastor Dave, he counted down from three, two, one. You get there, it's done. It's, it's over with. And your kids know, you know, zero means zero. It's where you run out of choices. You run out of chances. It's time to um, give out the punishment and things. So we have a similar problem. And due to our lust for pleasure, we will give in to sin. Due to our lust for comfort, we won't necessarily read our Bible. We won't study because we don't really want to know what it says because we're comfortable with where we are living. And that is unfortunate. We're very familiar with this and praise God that he is faithful. He abounds in mercy and he can give his strength in abundance. And he will not leave us in the manure pile, but he, it, when we turn our backs on him, and when we turn back to Jesus, we see he sees that as an act of worship. Repentance, depending on the Lord. This is an act of worship, folks. This is something that we can come and do. We can confess our weakness. And God shows up in his strength. Many, 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 many times when I hear somebody's evangelical, evangelistic, testimony it's look where i've come look where i've 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 arrived that is not a testimony of jesus christ that's a testimony of shane that's wrong look look where i would be if jesus didn't show up now that's giving glory to god right this is, this is the road I was going down. We should rejoice in our sufferings. We should rejoice in the glory that he's going to get because of where we were going to take ourselves. We were stuck in sin. There was no road out. There was no way out for me. And then Jesus happened, right? And then Jesus happened. When we confess our weaknesses, there's nothing to be ashamed of that because God's delivered us out in his strength. Now we have something to talk about. That's why the world, I really think, is, is turned off of Jesus because they're like, well, you just did it under your own strength. How come I can't do it under my own strength? But really, I didn't. I just said it wrong. And so let me confess to you how weak I am. I'm a sinful, lustful man that desires to have the world's pleasures, to have comfort. I'll lie, cheat, and I'll steal. But then Jesus happened. And I have that warring inside of me. I have all those things just below the surface when I'm not careful, when I'm not studying God's word when I'm not turning it over to him. 
Jesus allows me to rise up above that through the power of his Holy Spirit. And he's delivered me into something that's so much more beautiful than what I could ever ask or imagine. That is a testimony. Amen? I am not the hero. And God, his true desire is that we worship him, we honor him on how we live. And that includes our testimony. Let's continue on. 5 through 10 in Revelation 13. Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. Okay, so we see a tone change. We see this, oh, everybody can come. And now, now everybody but those Christians. And everybody, not even those Christians, don't even go with God kind of thing. And he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the whole world was made. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. We're going to talk about that. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. So the next point, who do we reflect? Jesus or Satan? Satan was all about getting the glory for himself. Jesus was all about raising up other people, ultimately so that God could get the glory. If you ever read the Gospel of John, you'll see that Jesus always is under submission to God the Father. I can't do anything of what I want. I have to submit to his authority. He was always big under authority. What's kind of ironic, while he was on the earth, God gave him all the authority, but he still submits to God. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. It's a good example for us to follow. So we see the 42 months, the second half of Daniel's set of seven, three and a half years. We talked about it in the, oh shoot, 2000 some odd days and 12, I can't remember. Um, but they're all equal to three and a half years, right? 42 months. This is speaking of that time where Satan's going to rule. What do we have? We have blasphemies against God, against God's character, and against his followers. What would you say that is? If you blasphemy God, if you blasphemy God's character and his followers, that is the exact opposite of worship. He's taken the worship's definition and he's flipped it upside down and said, this is right. We see that in the culture happening today, right now. They take things that we know as holy, flip them upside down, and declare them as right. This cannot be. This is what the church is supposed to stand up for. 
And there's dangers in that today with the evangelical church even. We're, we're submitting to these ideologies that are wrong. We're not supposed to hate anyone as a church, right? Any color of skin, any um, gender or whatever they think maybe a gender is, we still love them because God is love and we're supposed to follow that example. But we also need to stand up for what's right. God's word tells us what right is right and what's wrong is wrong. And so we need to do that in gentleness of spirit, but we need to do it firmly. And if they are going to argue in a sense, we need to still stand firm. So we also see this pattern that that is worked its way through Revelation chapter 13 at this point. And we see this pattern again in Matthew chapter 24 verses 8 through or 6 through 8, excuse me. It's a similar one. First we see the threats of wars, and then we see wars. Then we see famine and earthquakes. And then in verse 9, the persecution of the followers because they're followers of Christ, right? Many, many will turn away. Sin will be rampant. Love will grow cold, which may be the scariest line that Jesus ever said in the Bible. Love will grow cold. How can that happen? Isn't God there? Well, didn't he just turn it over to Satan for three and a half years? Satan's going to do whatever he can to get love to grow cold. It's still there, but it's not there as much as it used to be. But it's coming back, let me tell you. It's coming back big. God can only take so much of that. So in verse 13, the one who endures will be saved. And then in verse 14 of, of Matthew 24, it says the good news will be preached. These things will happen in, in this time too. You could even give a case that the two witnesses are the good news being preached. And now that's uh, passed, but um, I'm not really sure how that all works in the timeline of things. It kind of lays it out like it's afterwards. So it, maybe it's Maybe God gives one final say, hey, this is the good news, I'm here, choose me, or we're done, kind of thing. This is the same way Jesus said it would happen in Matthew 24. It plays out in Revelation chapter 13. We need to ask ourselves, when we go out into the town square, and what do I mean by the town square? Where we work, where we play, where we do school, where we do life, where we get our news from. That's the town square, okay? What we used to do, this is a Janet Parshall thing. If you ever listen to Janet Parshall, she always talks about the town square. And that means where are you getting your, lo- your news, your, lose, your news, your gospel, your gossip, your things, where are you getting that from? That's your town square. And so when you go into the town square, did you bring and leave full of peace and joy? Or did you bring and leave with hate and bitterness? It's a tough question there, isn't it? What you think about, you bring about. That's what Mary Kay said, and I think it applies here well. If you come with um, the readiness of peace and joy, it's easy to leave with peace and joy in that situation. 
you know the situation. You know how it's supposed to be. And if they don't, well, it's not really on them how you walk out of there. It's on you. So if we left like the first of peace and joy, then Christ was in it. We know Christ was in it. But if we left like the second in bitterness and hate, we better check our motives at the door. Well, what, what are some of those descriptors there, Pastor? Well, let's look at Galatians chapter 5. It's got a good grocery list of them. Verse 19 through 21, it says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Okay? So if we start in a pattern of walking under our own power, our own authority, the results are very clear. What do they look like? Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why don't you go to the parties? Why don't you go drink? Why don't you hang out the bars anymore? It's a pattern. It's a pattern that I don't want to be in anymore. I'm tired. I need something more than that, something that's going to fill me up. Are we in it for ourselves? Or are we there to serve? Are we in it for ourselves or are we there to serve? I need to ask myself, if I were... was. If I, were, if I was there to serve, then why did I feel so angry when I left? It's just not right. Yes, they were being selfish. But don't they get that luxury, in a sense? They're not serving. Their desire is not to serve. And I'm not really going to go there. As a believer, I'm not going to be selfish. I'm going to do what's right for the community. I'm going to do what's right for the church. I'm a follower of Christ. And when I leave the town square, I should see products of the Holy Spirit that look like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. That's the end of Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Those are called the fruit of the Spirit, right? When you see the fruit of the Spirit come, you know the pattern of Christ is in you. Well, they don't act like that. Well, we shouldn't expect non-Christians to act like Christ, should we? But you better believe that Christ expects you to represent him. And that is not easy, is it, folks? I mean, we all mess up. We all fall short of the glory of God, okay? Even Christians fall short of the glory of God. When we do, we eat crow and we go at it again. We apologize and we say, I was in the wrong 
because we, at the end of the day, we're accountable for ourselves. We're not accountable for their actions. We're accountable for our actions. And if we've wronged them, we have some getting right to, to do, right? That is not easy. I just learned you just don't even go there because I can't stand eating crow. <laughs> so I'm not going to go there because we are his ambassadors. We better start looking like them. That means you got to prepare your hearts before the town square. That's why we're able to go in with peace and joy because our hearts are prepared through his word, through praying, through getting right with him. We better, and if we're going to put it, we're going to say it short and sweet, you better shape up or ship out, right? Because God's true desire is that we worship him, we honor God in how we live. Well, what does God want me to do? Our final point, he wants us to worship him. He wants us to worship him. So simple. So hard. Right? It's a simple saying, worship God. How do I do that? I listen and obey his word. Well, I need to study his word. Well, I don't do that very often. Well, how am I going to listen? How am I going to find out what the commander wants from me? I need to communicate with the commander. I should pray. Hmm. Well, I don't have time to pray right now. Um, I got this crisis I got going on. Right? And sometimes it's this crisis of finding your other kid's sock. You know, it's not, not always a big crisis, but God wants to be involved. And if you get God involved, even in the process of finding the sock, you have a better chance of helping him find the lost that need Jesus. You have a better chance of having him find um, that the place of peace in your heart. And he can do some amazing things through that, right? And I, to behave in a way that brings him honor, that is worship. We do this, God will be pleased with us, like we read in the call to worship this morning, um, Romans 8, 27b through 29a. I just want to go right around 28 there because it gives you a little more context. The Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. When we are walking in God's will, we can expect the next verse to happen. When we are not walking in God's will, we shouldn't have high expectations for the next verse to happen, okay? And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. Folks, there's, there's hard things that happen. We lose loved ones along the way. We've seen others. Why did that baby have to die? The baby was innocent. The parents didn't do anything wrong. Satan loves suffering. He will do whatever it takes to get people to turn away. But when suffering comes and meets the love of God, he opens up something that's amazing 
to work through that person. How did you get through that? How did you get through that? I'm still not through that. Did we ever get over the loss of a loved one? No. No, that person is always going to be a part of us. Even if we've carried them in the womb for four weeks, nine months, or we've had them forever, they've been a part of us. And we need to respond with that. It is not me that is getting through the suffering. It is God that is lifting me up out of the suffering. Otherwise, I'd still stay in there. Right? Is it fair? No. Did God say he was going to make it fair? No. He said he will work it together for his good, according to those who love him. And that's a promise I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to rest in. Because I can't explain what just happened. Right? Satan loves suffering. But God is going to make something bigger, something better out of it. The battle belongs to the Lord. And at that point, when we're asking why, when we don't know, we got to give it up to him. Give it up and let go. We do not fight. We bring the peace of the Lord. Satan hates this, which makes me want to do it all the more. Amen? He wants it to stop. He is going to make God's love grow cold. I don't think you understand what that means. What's hell? There's no love in hell. It's opposite of of God because God's removed himself from there, right? Satan's going to bring hell as close as he possibly can to earth. That's scary, especially for the believer. But God's still in control. God's still on his throne. God still rules. God is still crying out to his people to turn away from their wickedness, turn away from their worship, these demons of these, this lifestyle that you think is so grand. Turn to me, and you will see how much I care for you, and you'll worship me. An evil empire that will rise up in the last day. The empire is going to wage war with the saints and the believers. Verse 8, you see a phrase that says, all who dwell on the earth, or something similar to that. This doesn't mean everyone. This means people that have given their hearts over to things of this earth, things of the world, worldly people, unbelievers. Okay, That's what it means. It's not talking about the saints at that point. It means they love the world and not God. They live in the flesh. They worship the beast. They bring the false. He will bring a false comfort. He will bring prosperity for a time. For a time. And who is this warning for? If you look at verse 9, so I'd talk about this again. It says, all who have ears to hear, let him hear. This is the same warning or the same call to listen as he says in chapters 2 and 3 of the seven churches. Ye who has uh, ears to hear, let him hear, right? He's talking to the believers. You need to persevere through this. Are there going to be believers on the earth at this point in time? Yes, there are. Are 
did they come after the rapture? Did they come? Are they have, haven't had the rapture yet? I don't really know. I can't. I can't figure this all out myself. So, um, but I know there's going to be believers there. People will be turning back to God. People will be understanding that He is the one, and something's not right with this Antichrist God. Yes, He brings comfort. Yes, He brings prosperity. But there's something in His message that's just not right. He's speaking to believers, and he warns them in verse 10 to remain faithful. Believers, we are to stand strong and be counted because of what we read in this call to worship, Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Yes, it's growing cold, but it ain't snuffed out. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Pastor, I deal with anxiety. Your first and best way to deal with anxiety is to take it to the Lord. Does that mean it takes anxiety all the way? Sometimes. Sometimes not. Sometimes it's about how we are delivering that anxiety. We're delivering with strings attached. Reel back in, right? And sometimes we have to work on it with medication sometimes, don't we? But that's all right. We give it to the Lord. We give it to the Lord. We remain faithful. We remember the past how God got us through those anxious times before. He's going to do it again. And when we build on that, we build up this confidence, and that is what we have. That's called faith. Huh. Interesting. Wow. I wonder where that came in, all this thing. Because at the end of the day, we're left with only you and God. There's no medication there's no neighbor, there's no spouse, it's you and the Lord. And we work on that relationship between you and the Lord. And it's an important relationship to have, amen? If we don't have it, I encourage you, talk to me after the service. We got to work this out. Because he's not the one that strayed away, it's, it's us. Are you able to stand in front of of God with confidence about your actions when you look back earlier in the day? Do you have a balanced view of the day? Or maybe you kind of stacked the load in your favor a little bit. You allowed yourself in the story to become the victim and they were the villain. Or maybe you become the hero and the villain. That's where I like to go. I like to, be, I like to make myself the hero of the story. I'm telling you, that's, that's Pride 101 right there. But we also become victim 101 too, right? Well, they did this to me and I, I can't. Well, did they? Did we even look at it from their point of view? Did we even ask ourselves, is that what they really want? Do they really want to destroy that thing that I'm, I've worked so long? I don't know. I think we're just 
I need to work on my communication a little bit better to, to bring this to them. And what are we reminded of in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7? We're reminded of what love is, right? They call that the love chapter, right? Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. I've already struck out right there. That was four strikes and I missed them all. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Folks, we have a, an opportunity to show love by some of these simple applications we see in verses 4 through 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. To be patient, to kind, not to be jealous, but to be happy for them. Not to be proud and think my way is the best way, or rude and butt into their conversations, or demand our own way. Not to be irritable or keeping records of being wrong. And when we see something happen bad to them, we don't get all happy and excited about it. But we rejoice even when they have something joyful happen in their life. Not easy. Love never gives up. So that, Does that mean we ever stop on our mission? No, if we think what we are doing is right, we stand on that. We make sure it's God's righteousness and not self-righteousness, no. It never loses faith. It always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. In other words, two wrongs don't make a right. Just because they're acting like a jerk doesn't give us the right to do so. God never gave up on you, and you can't give up on them. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Is, dare I say, the hardest command in the... And Jesus kept coming back to it. God's true desire is that we worship Him. We honor God and how we live. The choice is yours. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity. We thank you for the joy, the peace. We thank you for the hope we have in the relationship with you. Wow. Lord, you have a standing in awe of your presence. You, we cannot fathom what life would be without you here holding back the pain the suffering that that could come if you were to release satan lord your love is like an ocean it's like a tropical storm and i'm a tree bending in its midst 
And you temper that storm so that I can understand, that I can receive your love. We praise you for that. Lord, as we go throughout this day, I pray that you would help us to see those in our life that need you. Lord, we pray for those that display hate and anger. And we pray for them. We pray for their salvation. We pray that Jesus would come and reveal himself to, to them and that, and that we would continue to be kind, compassionate to them, heaping burning coals of compassion on their head so that they understand there is something different about these people and that I need what they have. Lord, not out of our own strength are we doing this, Lord. We are broken, diseased, with sin people. But we do it out of your strength. We declare our brokenness and we say, yes, I'm as broken as you, but God allows me to do wonderful things because of his righteousness, because of his grace. He is the hero of our story. Lord, we praise you for... um, delivering us out of the muck and the mire. We praise you for delivering us from the pit of hell that we deserve. And you you set us up on a rock. Lord, allow us to be a testimony. Open our eyes to see where we make ourselves the hero. Open our eyes to, to see where we make ourselves the victim. Allow us to have a balanced view of ourselves so that we are able to better appreciate uh, what you've given us in the first place. Guide and direct us, lead us and protect us as we go. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.